Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 69. I'm Rocco, and this week we have Ryan, PZ, and Michael, a full house. Yes. The whole gang. The whole gang is here. Mm-hmm. So, seeing as how um, we didn't have PZ here with us last week, what have you been up to, PZ? Um, I've just basically been recovering this week. Um, I had a, a, a bout of food poisoning, so that didn't leave me in the best frame of mind to do any major distro hopping. So, pretty boring week and just running whatever was on my machine. So, peppermint most of the time. Nice. Ryan, you've been up to something exciting, haven't you? Man, I'm always trying to do something that I can break at least or get my hands into something I can break. And this week it was a combination of DigitalOcean stuff, which they should sponsor us, by the way. DigitalOcean is awesome. They are awesome and they need to sponsor us, but uh, I'm going to give them this one for free. I was doing a new, you know, I'm not a fan of Discord. It's it works. Everything's great. But the thing that bugs me about Discord is let's say we finish a gaming session, Rocco, and I hit close on Discord. It still stays up in your taskbar in every distro. doesn't matter which one. And then you have to manually go exit and click out. And then sometimes on certain distros, you have to like close it out two or three times. And that it just it's untrustworthy to me. And so a lot of people have recommended Mumble. And I'm not just going to go in anybody's Mumble because I want to create my own in a digital ocean. It took me about, I, I did it before the show. It took me about 10, 15 minutes. I dropped a new server, created mumble server on it, walked through their fantastic manuals that they have and have it up and running for gaming sessions. So I'll be playing with mumble this week. And that's just how awesome digital ocean is. Wow. That sounded like a complete commercial. For I know it really <laughs> did, but I, they don't even sponsor us. And that was it. Um, the other thing I want to give a shout out to, I'm, I'm on my way to learning Python and humble bundle, which we love, which needs to sponsor us too. Uh, they have dropped a Python dev kit. This does all sound like commercials, but they're it really does. not. This is just stuff I'm working on. Uh, the Python dev kit they have out there on humble bundle is amazing. It comes with tons of courses and books that by themselves are like 50, 60 bucks a piece. And they have all these videos and everything, and it's the pay what you want. And as you pay more, you get more stuff. But yep. definitely check out the Python Humble Bundle out there. But it also listen, has some cool uh, connect, uh, like extra subscriptions you can do for like the the package management in Python with PyUp, and also the really good uh, Git client, uh, Git Kraken. Yeah, I was I going to ask you about Git Kraken because I saw it there. I got the free, you know, year of it, but it every year it wants like 50 bucks. So I, was, I yeah. wanted to ask somebody if it's really worthwhile. It is one of the best ones because it provides a easy to use interface, whereas most of them are very like particular and they kind of expect you to know how to use the command line stuff already. So the Git Kraken is a, like it's it's powerful, but at the same time, it's also like a, like a nice barrier to entry. I think they have a free version that's limited, but the pro version is, you know, is a like a fifty dollar thing or something. Well, if you're going to do a lot of, of of work and get, it might be worth it. But it's it's definitely worth it to try out the for you know the free year. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to blow you guys away because I my Python skills have just grown tremendously, and I created a guess my number game and loaded it to my Git yesterday. The coding. Wow. 
is incredible. It's like 20 lines of code I stole from someone else. We're not worthy. <laughs> did, you say, did you say I stole from someone else? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's a tutorial, right? So you're kind of walking through it with them. So they're kind of writing it and you're just typing it. But that's enough from you, Michael. It's amazing. Sorry. Coding is what I'm doing over here. Rocco, what have you been up to? Well, I've been trying some different distros. I have tried uh, Pop! OS and... Nice. Uh, whether it was my fault or not, but Zeb, you've been having uh, a similar issue with Pop! OS where the custom install or using the custom install just did not happen. So I installed it and it had an error. I tried it again. It had an error. I ended up having to format the whole drive, which I lost all of my other partitions on that just to try to see if it would work. And then when I booted in, it kind of it didn't. So, <laughs> Zeb, yeah. it, it, it's a similar thing because one of the things that they talk about now they've issued the eighteen oh four version is their refined installer. Now we all know why they've taken an installer and made it their own because it's predominantly Pop OS is the software to put on System seventy six laptops. It's what comes with that laptop, and they're only interested in you running their OS as best as they can make it. But I think they need they need to go and give a little warning to people who are distro hoppers. So let's, as Destination Linux, give people that warning themselves. If you install Pop! OS in UEFI mode and point it to your existing UEFI partition, it will trash your system for you, and you will just be left with Pop! OS. Now, I don't think this is anything malicious on their part. They, they, they just... This is for their OS on their machines. Um, and we talked about it on Biddle last night, and someone came up with a great idea. Well, we'll just give it its own EIF, sorry, uh, UEFI partition. Create a new EFI partition and tell Pop! OS to install to that. And I think Colin came back on Telegram and said he'd done that. Yep, he did a video yesterday just for me. <laughs> How awesome. <laughs> uh, but he did a video showing exactly what he did. He created a, uh, EFI, EFI partition and then pointed the boot to that and installed it on another partition and it worked fine. So that's what I'll end up doing. And I was going to try it, but it's probably not a good idea to try it right before a podcast, just in case. <laughs> so, but I've also yeah, been, yeah, but I've also been trying out XFCE. Uh, 1804 and it's pretty awesome brian you've been doing the same ain't you man i am loving the new zubuntu uh 18.04 with xfce i am home i feel if if home is where the heart is this is my home I, i love a lot of desktop environments but for me when i started with linux you know i started with unity and in ubuntu and the first desktop environment that I used that I fell in love with was XFCE. And I've been away with from it for a long time, doing Windows managers and everything else. But now that I'm back home with it, it just feels so good. Like I moved it to almost every PC, except I kept a couple of Mate because, you know, I love Mate too. Right. But um, yeah, it's just so good. It's so stable. And I've created some scripts and things out there to do some of the window manager well, I didn't create them. I stole them and forked them from other people who created them <laughs> to move to do window manager actions and things like that in there to add that functionality within. And it's just it's just so good, man. You're going to love it. And I'm so happy they got the multi-monitor support done so that you can 
really enjoy XFCE because that's been keeping you away from it. I know it has. And I haven't com- done much of the testing yet. So I'm still in the process of installing the programs I need to, to, to test it out, whether that be Rocket League or, you know, multiple different programs. Uh, but the testing will be ongoing this week. So that's fire. Love it. You never had those problems, Ryan, did you, with the, with the monitor things that I didn't know. I still um, don't know a hundred percent if it's fixed. Yeah. That's what would be interesting to see if Rocco's particular issue was resolved in that. Now he had different connectors where I use all display ports. I think Rocco used a combination of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if that issue resolves itself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, one thing we can definitely get behind is good content. Yes. And there's a guy out there who will, we will affectionately refer to as English Bob, who does some awesome content on his YouTube channel. Zeb, tell, tell us about English Bob's channel. Well, as, as you know, he's a true friend of the show, and he also pops into our individual um, streams. <sighs> He's got, a, he's got a wealth of knowledge um, and Linux to share with us. Yes. Um, but he, he does it in a, in, a, in, a, in a different way. He's not just sitting there reading from a script or going through a distro. He's telling you it from his viewpoints. Now, his viewpoint isn't always um, PG-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. So if you are a little concerned about some colorful language, then stay away from his show because you never know when something's going to, going to pop out. And he tries to do it in, always in a deprecating way that he's the, the beginner trying to teach everybody how, how to do it. And that just brings a completely different perspective um, to the show. And I'm sorry to say that he is still in the lead in the race. <laughs> what? Um, I haven't been able to top his 384 miles an hour. So, I need oh, to okay, we got to stop here for a second, Zeb. You represent this show, right? You, <laughs> you represent Destination Linux. We need you to, you, for people who don't know, uh, English Bob and Zeb are huge Euro truckers. If you go to their channel, they're always playing Euro trucker on Linux, and they are trying to get the biggest engines and transmission mods and everything to see how <laughs> how fast they can get down the interstate in a semi-truck with a fully loaded trailer to the top speed. And the fact, I mean, I love English Bob, but the fact that you represent the show and you've not beating him <laughs> is a problem, Zeb. I know. I need, to, I need to wait for somebody to bring out the one million horsepower truck. <laughs> then I might beat him. But, I mean, Ryan, remember the journey is just as important. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> not when it comes to winning, Michael. Zeb. Wow. Then all bets are off, right? Yeah, if I'm driving down the highway, I'm doing it in style. I love it. <laughs> well, look, it's not just the content that he has. He's just such a great guy, and he has mm-hmm. such a great personality. Go check his channel out. He's got all kinds of tutorials, whether it be Peppermint OS, um, Linux Lite, Arco Linux. He's got tons of Eurotruck videos. He, he's got World of Tank videos. He's got a ton of content to check out. So check him out when you can. Yes, yeah, definitely. So, Rocco, you know, you talked about Pop! OS a little bit. We didn't get into all the features, but 18.04 got released of Pop! OS. It did. It and you talked about some of the issues that you guys were having, but what are some of the good things out there with Pop! OS? Well, one of the great things, and it's also one of the things that I had trouble with, was one of the great things was the installer itself. The installer itself mm-hmm. is absolutely beautiful. Um, it 
it is a custom installer that, that they have done with, uh, I guess, Elementary OS has contributed to it. That's right. Uh, it makes it super easy to encrypt the drives, and it's a beautiful installer to boot. So if you go through the install process, um, it's not mu- you know, major differences from Ubiquity, but it's just got that polished look to it. And, you know, I can't say about like how 1804 runs because I haven't been able to run it yet, obviously. But, um, I I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a great OS. I really like the, the encryption, like the, the built in encryption by default that they give you the option for using. Yeah. It's very clear the way they do it. It's just the fact that they're making it so much easier. And like it used to be, if you installed encryption, it might be problematic. So they had to like warn you. And in this case, it's kind of like, if you don't do it, it, they they kind of like, are you sure you don't want to use encryption? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, well, since I sound like a commercial all the time, you know, I've got the System 76 Gala GoPro. And uh, what what else would you do with the System 76 machine but install Pop! OS on it? I mean, you you got to, right? It's a requirement. It has to um, but when I did 18.04, I will say that uh, a lot of the things they talked about, like the battery indicator improvements and things you would want on a laptop, were there and very easy to see. You have the high performance switching, which is really cool feature. So depending if you're on battery life or you're doing gaming and you have AC in, you could switch your power profiles in there so that you can get more battery life or if you need more performance, you can switch that. But I was having some random issues, you know, which is strange with slowness in it. But this was right when it uh, was still in beta, not the official release portion. So I'm going to go back to it and give it a shot and see if some of those issues. Well, after the show, I'm going to be going back and trying the install again because I I said I wanted to try this so bad because I love the uh, previous version of Pop! OS because it was beautiful and well done. So I wanted to try this so bad that I wiped out all of my partitions on that one drive. So I definitely will be trying um, trying to get this installed. So I can't wait. Nice. There's a question that popped up in chat. Um, Heather wanted to know what desktop Pop! OS uses. Gnome. No. It's the GNOME one. Okay. Yeah, and is it a heavily modified one or do they go or do they go stock gnome? It's modified. Uh it's most mm-hmm. it's it's got a lot it's 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 got a lot of like um customizations as far as like, you know, making it more polished and stuff like that. So they have like their own custom theme and icon set and stuff like that. Speaking yes. of GNOME, we've got Fedora twenty eight for the GNOME fans out there, and we talked about that release a little bit last week, but there's a new feature here that I don't think we touched on too much, and that's the new software modularity portion of Fedora 28. So, Michael, what is this about? What is the modularity, and why do we care? Well, the modularity is more of a sense that you can you can use individual pieces for, you know, you, it's mostly for, like, the workstation stuff and the server side. So the, the, main, the main benefit of it is that you can now use, uh, you can pull in different repository based stuff instead of having to have everything all included you can you pick pick and choose which one you want to do so how how you introduce software to the system makes it as a lot easier and a lot more controlled yeah and the alternative versions i thought was really interesting because this is kind of like snaps and snaps you have um i don't remember the three versions but essentially it's stable i think is one then you have unstable or yeah and- stable beta uh, or release candidate and edge yeah, so they have multiple versions here as well with their modularity. 
which is very similar to the snap option in which you can utilize a different version of that software, say if you need different features or things that hadn't been released. So, I mean, overall, it seems like a really good idea. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's, the modularity is very important because like, it, it makes it so much more control for the user. And also you could deploy it as like, um, you know, in an enterprise situation as well. Now, I don't know if we want to go into this too much, but Fedora 28, anybody tried it? Negative. I have not tried it. <laughs> um, I got no, it up I, and running very briefly, and I don't know why um, I took it off at the time. It was probably either I couldn't get OBS to work or Zoom or, uh, you know, Steam, because those are the main things. But no, I haven't given it um, a major try. But they have improved the installer. Um, you You no longer get asked, are you sure three times before it allows you to move off the password? <laughs> if you want to set your password as one, two, three, four, it goes, okay, this is done, but I'll do it for you anyway. Whereas mm-hmm. you used to have to say, yes, yes. I really do mean yes. Get on with it. <laughs> no, and then you got to go back and say yes again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they've taken all of that out now. So it does, yeah. it does streamline the process. Um, and they've also, I think, put the user creation after you've rebooted now. So it's almost like an OEM install. So you can install mm-hmm. it and then it boots up and then it asks you for your username and details and password. So again, that's combining the two different types of installers um, in one. But I think they use that, the, the GNOME um, first run thing as well for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. But going back to this modularity, isn't that a bit like a PPA? Kind of, um, but the way that it's it's more, you know, more con- there's more control in the way that they're doing it because they have the, also the, the infrastructure of copper. Mm-hmm. So like the PBA is like an individual piece. It's if you if you combine PBA and snaps, that's kind of like what they're going for because oh, of the, like they they have so many different pieces that when you add them all together, that the whole package has a variety of different approaches to have, and also the third party. Uh, the third-party repositories that they're adding. So, like, you can get, like, Steam and, and Chrome and stuff like that inside of it now. They're nice. just, they're, they're kind of just made flushing out the, or f- making the repository more uh, robust as far as, like, what is all available. And then all, allowing you to, to pick and choose, like, which repositories your system uses because maybe you don't want to have a proprietary access and accidentally install something. Like, some users are, you know, pr- prefer that type of approach. Yeah, so, they're heavily focused on FOSS initially. And then they, but they're starting to add some support for third-party integration. And my experience with Fedora 28 was very much like your Zeb. Uh, first of all, the installer was fantastic. I had no issues with it at all. It ran very smooth and was much better than what I've tried before. Uh, the issue that I came across with Fedora for me, in my experience, was the packaging. There's third-party repository you enable in the software store now that can get you some applications. There's also RPM Fusion. Then you have your standard store. And I just couldn't get things that are supposed to be simpler like the NVIDIA drivers, figure it out. And I think it was a combination of not all of the instructions and manuals, believe it or not, I was looking through them, have been updated to the 28 stuff. And so the instructions to install NVIDIA drivers and things aren't necessarily, and and maybe it's just a simple, as I understood, it was supposed to be just a simple thing now that you can kind of click like additional drivers in Ubuntu, but it wasn't working for me. And I may have just messed something up because I'm just not familiar. But if I could give one piece of advice to Fedora, it's you're on the right track, but that package management system somehow needs to kind of 
have a bridge that conforms all the various options into something yeah. a little more seamless. They, they have a ton of different options, which is why it's why we're pretty cool about all the different repositories, but they're all completely compartmentalized as far as how you use them. And if they yeah. fix that, the theming and everything in there for their GNOME iteration was absolutely gorgeous. Yep. Like, well done. Definitely a polished OS. Ain't no yep. question about that. Mm-hmm. So speaking of polished OSs, KOS is a plasma-based distribution that has a lot of, like they focus on the integration of the desktop with the system. So they put a lot of effort as far as like customizing various pieces of the system, including a brand new redesign of their Midna theme and including like lots of like over 2,500 icons for like the new theme and as, as well. So, I, if you haven't ever tried KOS, I think it's it's a a great distribution that is very KDE friendly. Uh, there are some negatives in the sense of like you know what all available software is, but if you're a fan of Plasma, it's definitely you should check it out. So, uh, Rocco, have you tried it as a fellow fan of Plasma? <laughs> so I reviewed Chaos. I always called it Chaos. I asked them, and uh, and they said it was KOS. I want it to be chaos. I want it to be chaos too. So we're going to call it, it chaos. Is, we're going to call it chaos. Okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> I mean, we don't follow any of the rules with naming anything else. No. So why don't you? All right. So I had reviewed chaos. Um, she said it has to have been a year ago. So I haven't tried it as of late, but it struck me as one of those things where if you're a KDE fan, you're probably going to love it. If you're mm-hmm. not a KDE fan and you're just in the middle ground, you're probably not going to like it because they have a goal to basically have everything be QT based. So um, you're not going to see the GTK. Yeah, you're not going to have the GTK apps in there. But so I don't know. It's one of those things where you got to buy into their idea. And if you buy into that, if you like just having cute apps, uh, because you are limited in, in that area on chaos so right i really i really dug this when i when i installed it and started looking into it first of all their philosophy of we're going to focus on one desktop environment and we're going to do it well i love that philosophy because i see so many distributions that are like we have 30 options and then you install one of those 30 and they're not maintained they don't work they don't have enough people supporting it to really do that type of setup so the fact that they're focused on a single desktop environment to me is a huge plus. Now they use the, this also, if you're an Arch fan was very familiar because a lot of the things, even though it's not Arch based, a lot of the things that are familiar to Arch users like Calamari's installer or uh, the Pac-Man um, package management system, all of that stuff is usable within this um, you know distribution. So there's a lot of familiarity there and you can, of course, use the AUR to package your own. You can't use AUR like you can in other, uh, which Rocco taught me, in other uh, Arch distros, but you can package from the AUR to mm-hmm. create some of the software that you need there. So it's really unique. It comes with Falcon Browser, Octopi, all the KDE software that we all love. I kind of dug it, man. I, I really got behind it. If you're a KDE fan, this is cool. The latest version also inster- includes a new welcome system, like a welcome app, and uh, it's called Croeso. I, <laughs> I, I think that's how you say. It. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but nice. um, it's a uh, it's a really nice way of doing it because it's not only just a welcome thing where it has like the manual stuff. It does that, but it also has like 
a configuration, easy access configurations when you first install a thing. If maybe if you don't like some of the defaults, you can change things pretty quickly, including like the theme, the how many uh, virtual desktops are available, uh, icons, like all the configurations, the w- window decorations, all kinds of stuff. Michael, mm-hmm. is that new? Is that something new, or didn't they have something called Captain? I thought they used to have something called Captain that was a did a. It was a Python-based, uh, same thing, kind of welcome. That was pretty welcome. nice, actually. Yeah, but they've they've rewritten it entirely, and that's what Croso is. It's a re, it's a QML application for the same thing, but it provides that they wanted to provide more controls that wasn't available through the other app, so they made they made their own. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, this is the first version with that. Why aren't you on and contributing to this distribution? Because it is KDE. That's your first and only love. It's not the first. It's not the only. But <laughs> liar. Um, but well, the reason I don't use it is I do. I do like to. I talk to the the, t- the team about it about different things that they're working on. So I am. I do pay attention to it. But the the, the reason I don't use it is mainly because of the GTK stuff. Because I do prefer Firefox and stuff like that. So interesting. There are mm-hmm. things that unfortunately, Qt is the best toolkit, of course. But uh, <laughs> some things do rely on the other off-brand toolkits. Right. Yeah. Interesting. That's good information to know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good to see as well that in a week that was completely bombarded with various types of um, Ubuntu distributions, that you've got stuff like Chaos still knocking it out. Um, and let's not forget that sort of like the granddaddy of them all, the Debian-based distros. Because yeah. um, Bunsen Labs uh, put out a new version of their software this week and they're, and they're and I think they've done it as a with with pre-configured open box configurations, Tint two, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of conkeys as well. Because one of the things I always found difficult with Debian is you can get it installed, then you've got to go through the headache of working out how to do the sudoers. Because I still don't use Simple Note guys to make to make notes. <laughs> you should, Zab, um, you need to. <laughs> yeah. And then and if you're not going to use GNOME or XFCE or KDE, and you're going to use one of these window managers. It's really nice to find a distribution that have taken the time to give you these various options to configure the system the way you like. You can then go in and look at the config files and work out why they're different, how they're different, without having to start from scratch. So, you know, big, big shout out to Bunsen Labs for that. Um, I tried it in um, a virtual machine before the the, the final release came out. and I thought it. I thought it deserved a mention. It was. It was a really nice um, distribution. So, have you tried anything like this, Ryan? Because you're an i three fan. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I definitely took a look at Bunsen Labs release here with the open box integration. You know, when you when they start integrating things like when I think of this, Eric Dubois and his work that he did with Arco Linux was really what got me addicted to i three. It was his work. And because he went in there and set everything up for you and even had a conky set on the side that had your key shortcuts. So as you're sitting there learning it, you have those there as a guide to kind of help you until it becomes kind of second nature. And now, unfortunately, it's so second nature to me that I'm in other distros, like trying to hit key combinations. Like, why is my menu not coming up? (laughs) Um, But uh, it becomes second nature. So this work that they do, these guys are amazing at theming and what they call ricing and customizing this. So they give you somebody's work who's kind of an expert in this area that you can use out of the box mm-hmm. to learn on. 
And that makes it much easier because you, you now will just be changing little things, making little adjustments in the config file versus trying to write your own config file or finding something random on the internet, which may be outdated or not working. So this yeah. is a really great integration of OpenBox, which, you know, Derek from DistroTube has gotten me on the OpenBox train. And I don't think it's better than i3, although we can argue about that all day, but it is a awesome window manager and it's a lot of fun. No, that's, and that's you awesome. can integrate it within KDE. Mm-hmm. So you can have the best of KDE and OpenBox on top of it, which is what I was playing with. And I really love that. Uh, as an option as well. But yeah, using Debian with OpenBox, I mean, what a beautiful combination. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not the flavor of the month at the moment, but it really is a lightweight distro. Um, and I think it's only the guys over at Antics that for me have got it beaten. And I think this uh, puppy cold booted at 340 meg. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen that on on my system before. And I always say, you know, you get people quoting, oh, I can get it down to 150. Yeah, that's on your 2004 computer. Um, you try it with a with an i7 and a 1060 graphics card and 32 gig of memory. It will use what it needs to use. But right. 340, I've only seen Antics get it, get it lower. So if you've got an old machine, tr- you know, check out Bunsen Labs. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how well it runs. They nicely uh, make it. The, the defaults, as Ryan said, is, is very nice in Bunsen Labs, but they, they're, they're also like the, the successor to uh, Crunchbang. So if you've ever mm-hmm. used Crunchbang, it's, a, it's, it's basically like that, but it's like a community derivative or not really derivative, but like the follow-up to Crunchbang because it was canceled. But what's really cool about this release is that they, they added support for some older Crunchbang utilities like the audio mixers and stuff like that. Nice. So they brought those back to the Bunsen Labs. Wow. So it's that's pretty awesome. Nice. All right. So, uh, recently in the latest releases of 1804, we heard about the, uh, reporting statistics back to Ubuntu and Canonical. Big so, brother. Yeah. Sorry. Big brother. No, but it's not. Uh, they give you the option now nope. to either report your statistics or not report your statistics, which is great that they give you the option. Recently, Linux Mint, um, put out a blog post saying that they will, they're going to say no to the quote unquote Ubuntu report. So they will not be including this option in their Linux Mint 19 Tara release. So what do you guys think? Is this a cynical way of wanting to stay on top of DistroWatch? Because if if everybody shows now that they've installed Mint, will we get a bad account of the number of people? That, or does it not? Does it well, not, not to take us off track, but Linux Mint is no longer number one on DistroWatch. Not that any of that stuff actually means anything. Majaro has taken the lead, and it's a huge conspiracy on whether it's robots that have done it and bots, or if Majaro really is the most popular distro on DistroWatch. All joking aside. To be fair to Linux Mint, I don't think this has anything to do with uh, DistroWatch. But... There is a conspiracy here, Rocco. We must uncover it. Conspiracy theory blown up again. I know not everybody's a fan of Linux Mint, but I really do appreciate what Linux Mint does as a whole, as a distribution, because they make it simple and easy for new users to come over to Linux, and they also make a very stable operating system. So on, yeah. on top of the not using the Ubuntu report, they also just released Cinnamon 3.8, which we touched on last week where you could try it in Arch. 
but mm-hmm. uh, they did Linux Mint did release 3.8 and that will be going into the Terra release which we don't exactly have a date for. I, Linux Mint gets I don't know what the thing is but there's a group of people who have this Linux Mint hate train thing going on and hopefully they're in the minority cuz you shouldn't hate Linux Mint. It's incredible and a lot of new people have been brought to Linux and stayed with Linux because of the work Linux Mint has done to make such a seamless system. This idea specifically here, though, with they won't collect personal data, in some ways I'm a fan of it, in other ways I'm not. Because I think this information, we talk about distro watch, how it's not an accurate representation of how many people really use these distros. And Canonical being able to get this information that you can opt out of if you want, but the people who are opting in to be able to get this information, know what apps people are use, utilizing and you know what desktop environment they have and very basic, completely benign information, but would help them be able to make you know, decisions on you know, snap popularity or app popularity and desktop environment popularity is important. And Mint could have just created you know, jumped on this and just said, well, we default to opt out and you can opt in, but they have a huge user base now that we won't get any information from for people who may have been willing to opt in. And that's, I'm not sure this is the greatest thing in the world. I'm not sure. Michael, you're the opt out guy or the opt in guy, one or the other. (laughs) So what do you think? Oh, Michael's system's locked up, so we'll have to move on. But you know what I bet Michael's position on this is? What? He is against the fact, Michael, just nod your head. He is against the fact that they haven't put this in there and we won't be able to collect this information. I'm actually, yes, I am against that, but that's not the, like, the, what I wanted to specific, specifically say is that the things that people are saying about what Mint is saying is not true because okay. Mint didn't actually say we're not collecting personal data, implying that Ubuntu is collecting personal data. Even if you scroll down to the comments, people would thank them for not doing it and they're saying, well, for one, we're not doing it because we don't see a need of having it. And two, we're not saying that Ubuntu is doing anything wrong. In fact, Ubuntu is, is not taking any personal information. So the, the, they were basically debunking the claims that people were saying that they were saying anyway. So mm-hmm. like in this particular case, um, I agree with what Mintz said. But as far as like not collecting the data... But there is absolutely a value in connect in collecting it, especially um, you know for your development of your distro. So like maybe they don't they don't think that they need to. I think every distro should do it because it's better to have data to you know improve to know what that your decisions are based on actual like actuality of what people are doing with your system rather than just guessing. So I mean I disagree with their decision to not do it. But I also, I, I do appreciate the fact that they specifically point out in their comments that it's not a negative thing that Ubuntu is doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. It's valuable information and I am perfectly fine with Ubuntu doing that as long as it's like it is now where it's an opt out thing. But the one thing I wanted to mention about Linux Mint is they recently said they were no longer going to maintain the KDE version. And what they would do is... uh Cinnamon and Mate would release on one day. I think it was Cinnamon Mate and then XFCE and KDE would release or vice versa. One of them. Anyway, they're going to release Cinnamon Mate and XFCE all at the same time, which is a, which is really nice because yeah. you used to have to mm-hmm. wait two weeks for the other two versions to come out. So 
Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. For, I mean, the mainly because they they're not working on the KDE uh, plasma edition. It allows them to just focus on the GTK stuff, which and because XFCE is a part of the GTK stuff, it makes it easier for them to push them out at the same time. So that's really cool. And one nice. day we're going to have Clem on. One day. Yes, that would be awesome. So, you know, Linux is all about choices. And so if you don't like a specific desktop environment or distro, go use one of the other choices out there <laughs> versus beating up people. And speaking of those kinds of choices, LXLE is a choice out there. They are specifically geared towards reviving your old PC. That's their tagline. So when I'm going to drop this information, just keep that tagline in mind to revive your old PC. That's what they're going for. They're not gearing up for 18.04 because they've just landed on 16.04. So this is for people who are wanting to revive systems that are low on resources and don't require a whole lot of power to be able to use. So what do you think? LXLE. I've used it before and it's actually, it's actually pretty good. Um, and you say that they're just landing on 1604. It's actually their 0 0.04 release. So they've provided you with three versions afterwards, but I just find it interesting where that they're not just jumping on the 1804 bandwagon and being the first one to get out there. They, right. this is a, uh, uh, a distribution that listens to their user base. Uh, it listens really well. They had um, quite a number of extras that they had to fix before they could move on because you can't have a a reasonably stable 1604 and then people expect you to have a very good 1804. So right. they made that bold decision of let's stay on the 1604 and let's get it running. I don't know how long they're going to stay on it for, but let's get it running well. Let's get it get all of these concerns that our users have given us addressed, um, and and then we can and then we can think about doing eighteen oh four. One thing I did notice though, when I was looking back and looking back at the timescales, they only seem to jump on the next Ubuntu long term release after the first point release. So I think they'll start looking at eighteen oh four after it becomes eighteen oh four point oh one. Um, and that can only be good and stable for the users. But as a system, it was there. It just worked. Nice. Really nice. Well, I think it'll be good for some of the people in the Telegram group, too, because uh, a couple people have picked up some older laptops just to, you know, keep them alive. And this is mm -hmm. something that can actually do that without a problem. So yep. it is your official lightweight desktop, Ryan. There you go, an official one. <laughs> Unlike Mate, which is also extraordinarily lightweight, like a feather. There you go, Wimpy. <laughs> like a feather. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, Michael, what do you right. think about Corora and their decision to stop the project? Well, so, unfortunately, the, the they decided to hit the pause button and uh, they haven't really said if they have any intention of coming back or not. But I feel this is like a like a very unfortunate situation because uh, Corora is one of my uh, preferred solutions for Fedora users because they they go beyond the the Fedora's defaults because Fedora is a, is a good distro, but there's a lot of things that they choose not to based on philosophy or just on like don't think they don't think it's necessary to do that. Corora kind of takes from there and makes a better experience so mm. they, they and they add rpm fusion by default and they do all these like they do theming nice. improvements by default and things like that so 
I actually was a fan of Carora, and so it is. It's definitely unfortunate that they've decided to kind of take a break. But uh, hopefully, that's a temporary hiatus. But it's yeah. sad because there's a lot of fans of this. I hadn't yeah. heard of it a lot, but when I was telling people in Telegram that I was going to try Fedora 28, everybody started like, "Croar, croar, 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 go try this, try this." Mm-hmm. And so I started researching it, and then you know, come across the letter to the community that they are hitting the pause button. And here's the lesson I think here if there is is that. This is why it's so important to go out there and support these distributions that you love. It doesn't matter if you love Mint. It doesn't matter if you love Ubuntu's, whatever it is that you love, support them. Bug fixes financially, especially if you can and you're utilizing it because they, one of the things they talk about is one developer and two community managers and they can't keep Mm -hmm. up. So many people love the project, but not Mm -hmm. enough people to donate their time or resources to help this project that they love. And now it may very well go away. Mm-hmm. But isn't, isn't that always one of the dangers when you have a project that is just some individual developer's baby? He builds it up, he starts it up, he makes his um, spin-off from the original, and then he gets one or two other people interested with him. And then for whatever reason, as you say, lack of development, I need to move on to another project, my lifestyle has changed, that these small distros just do slowly disappear. I mean, for me, one that disappeared and was really, really good was Chalet OS. Yes, Chalet was good. Similar similar sort of thing. The developer produced 1404, went, there you go, boys, it's all yours. I'm now going to take a back seat. 1604 came out and I went, oh, where's our Chalet? And the developer just came back and said, look, I told you it's a community-based distro now. You guys have got to look after it. I've moved on to other things. And I'm wondering, is that what Corora, is that the sort of thing that they've hit where they've just had enough of it after these years? Well, I mean, imagine we talk to a lot of these developers and they tell us they work on the distribution after work, after taking care of their family, after doing all the stuff that we normally all do, you know, go have to fix something in your house. You've got some emergencies. You've got to work crazy hours. You've got to do all this. Then you've got to come home and support the community that are, may have, be having issues, fixing bugs, moving your release to the next release cycle, all of this. This is why it is important to support these distros in as many ways as you can mm-hmm. because these people are sacrificing a lot of time and a lot of it's a, a work of love and passion and we get that. But they're sacrificing a lot to do this and sometimes I think it's got to get overwhelming to where, I mean, you just can't keep doing it and continue to do the other things that you have to do just to make a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're well, going from suppose, one job to another, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose the positive you could take out of this is that the developer actually took the time to tell you that he was going to be yep. closing the project down. That's Unlike true. the unfortunate people who are using void Linux, um, where the lead developer has just gone MIA. Yeah. No one has heard of him or from him since January. You've got the situation where they've got a very active community who want to take over the project, but they can't get at SourceForge. They can't get at GitHub. They can't get at the other sources because Mm -hmm. there's only one person controlling the whole thing. Now, everybody hopes and prays that there's nothing um, untoward that has happened. And, you know, the guy is just, um, decide he's going to give it up and, and not tell everybody for his own reasons. But how, how do we, how do you overcome that? If you're part of that community 
where one person holds all the keys and they do a disappearing act, like void. How, how do you mitigate against that? What should they have done, perhaps? I mean, there's, there's processes they could do to, do, to, to take care of it, but in this case, um, I don't know what they could do. There's, they're going to have to be dealing with some, some like administrative issues to, to get through all, access to everything. Hopefully, the, leader, the, old, the old project leader was happy to give them the access but if they haven't talked to them in a couple months, I mean, that that's creates a, you know, a big problem there. Uh, but there are some things that uh, some distros do where if you create a project and, you know, in a name of like, it's already existing project and it's like a side project and you want to have like interactions with them with the main ones, for example, they do that. Uh, you could set up a, like a group that if you, you say, if you want to use our project and you want to have like a derivative DE version of our project, you could say, here's the main people or group that you should get a- give access. So like if say a GitHub, for example, you create a group and put all the people who should have access if it, they need to take over uh, in that group and you get in the person who wants to, you know, work and can collaborate with the existing project could just give access to that group. So if for some reason, the original developer for that side thing goes away, the group could take over and start distributing like who should have control and things like that. So as long as like there's a an approach to like you know take in consideration that this is going to be a problem, like it could be a problem in the first in the first place, uh, they could solve it in that way. But uh, it seems like the void Linux are you know sitting in a uh, like a purgatory right now. Yeah, it's a bad thing because you know at that time they probably they didn't think they needed to take those steps. You know, because hmm. who knew he was going to go MIA? And we don't know exactly where he is. So, you know, it's like you don't realize you have to take that step until it's too late. And it's a shame. So, yeah. mm-hmm. well, there's an article out from Canonical about snaps. And we, you know, like I can talk about snaps a little bit. Michael, I'm sure you can go on about snaps. But for hours. Yeah. For hours. But it's better if we let the professionals take care of talking about it Fine. so <laughs> we're going to talk to alan pope about the snaps yes all right so there's new a new thing coming out with snaps where they're supporting the devs so what's the deal with it so um as you may know uh we've got a whole bunch of snaps in the snap store and uh, there's a diverse set of people uh, install, uh, putting those snaps in the store. So you've got like big name developers and smaller indie developers as well. And what they're doing is leveraging the Ubuntu archive for their libraries. So for example, uh, their application might build against some X library or libpulse or some other important component that's in the archive. And they're using the devs that are in the archive in order to build their application. And one of the problems that, other people have highlighted as a potential problem with this is, well, if a snap bundles those libraries in it, um, what does that mean for a user? A user who's got that application installed and they've got all these libraries, um, what if there's a security update in one of them in the Ubuntu archive? And uh, yeah, it's a very real, real problem. And it's kind of mitigated by the fact that the snaps are container, uh, containerized, but there's still the possibility that um, someone might have a, uh, a security a security vulnerability in a library that they're using in a snap. And so the feature that we've announced on the Insights blog post that I'm sure you'll link to in the show notes um, is that we're going to tell developers if we can interrogate the snaps that are in the store, 
look at the libraries, compare them to the ones that are in the archive and say, well, look, this is an old version before we did a security update. So what they should really do is rebuild that snap with the updated version of the library that's got the security update in it. And so what we do is we email the developer and say, hey, you might want to think about rebuilding your application with the new libraries. It's as simple as that. Nice. So according to the article, it's once a day that the service examines it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we in Ubuntu, we generally don't push out security updates like, you know, scattergun, like <laughs> multiple times a day. Um, and so once a day, we feel is the right amount. And also developers are going to get a little bit annoyed if we just keep spamming them with email. I mean, it's useful and interesting and important mail that we're sending them about security <laughs> updates in their applications. But equally, you've got to have a fine balance. As a developer, you don't want to be getting these like yeah. constantly. Yep. Was it, is this an automated email that the system sends out, or is somebody searching? Uh, yeah, we have a team of crack robots. <laughs> uh, no, it's 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 automated. It's uh, it, it it scans. Um, there's a couple of things that are interesting about this. Is um, you know we we don't really know what's inside a snap, especially if it's a proprietary application, something like Skype or Spotify. You know, these are proprietary applications, and with any proprietary application, no matter how it's delivered, a Deb, an RPM, or a snap. You don't really know what's inside it, but some of the bits we kind of recognize. We can fingerprint them. We can, you know, do um, some kind of uh, hash on the on the library and say, well, that library is definitely the one that came from the archive, and that is definitely before we did this security update. Whereas um, some of the other things in there might come from internal build systems. So, for example, the Skype snap will have stuff that came from Microsoft, and the Spotify snap will have stuff that came from Spotify. So this isn't a solution for everything that's inside the snap. Mm-hmm. It's really only the stuff that we're responsible for in the archive. Um, and we, we're, what we're trying to do is give people the confidence that the stuff they're installing has had these security updates done to them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So worst-case scenario, how long – because you can't – force the new devs to make a new snap you can just suggest it so mm-hmm. worst case scenario do you think it could be a week before it gets updated or it might um, not be updated well so absolute worst case scenario is it never gets updated and the mm-hmm. developer just says or oh, the developer doesn't read that inbox anymore or thinks well i've moved on and i'm on another contract now or i'm not particularly interested in in doing this anymore and so mm-hmm. that's worst worst case scenario uh, best case is they get your email and they go, oh, crikey, okay, and they press the build button. Mm-hmm. Out pops a new build, they test it, and then they push that to the stable channel. That's their best case scenario. And there's like a myriad of different options in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people who are engaged and are wanting to deliver a good experience for their users, it makes total sense that they would want to rebuild and publish mm-hmm. to the store as soon as they possibly could. Right. Yeah. yeah that would be you know, the right thing to do as a developer. Um, but it's, it's entirely possible that people won't and they might leave it a while. And I'm not entirely sure what the solution is there. Um, I'd be interested to hear feedback on this because, you know, what we could do is say to the developer, uh, you know, we'll email you a three times and then what we might do is maybe, this is hypothetical, what we could do is remove you from the search results. So if someone searched for your application, mm-hmm. they can't see it. Users who still have it you know, can carry on using this insecure version. Maybe yeah. further down the line, we, we block them and don't allow them to upload anymore until they fix the problem with the existing application. There's, there's all kinds of like subtle things. Someone suggested to me on, um, on Reddit, 
where you could reach into these people's machines and remove the application from their machine. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, no. that's, that, yeah. that's no, probably not what we're going to do. I love that you guys are focused on building these bridges between the distribution and the development of snaps, which you guys are heavily involved in, obviously, and creating that communication between the developers and your teams and the work that you're doing that this is a, you know, and some people may look at this as a small thing, but to me it's huge because now these bridges are being built that you guys are communicating constantly and back and forth. And so people have that opportunity, but I also love the idea because everything here is about stability, right? That you can rely on snaps and snaps become this thing that you can use without having to worry about uh, having issues with it that eventually you guys would take somebody off who's not supporting it because right. you don't want that bad negative user experience. You want to mm. remove those developers out. But this idea, what you guys are doing here, is awesome. I love mm-hmm. it. And, and we, we want to speak to developers and find out, you know, what do they want? Is this good for them? Do, what would they expect us to do next? What would they expect us to do if they didn't press the button and, and push an update? And we talk to developers every day. Like yeah. I send emails to developers and say, hey, look, your application is trending in the store or it's, nice. it's one of the most popular apps in the store. I did that on Friday and sent an email to a developer saying, uh, you know, your application is now one of the top uh, trending applications in the store. And he took my email, redacted my name, and just posted it on their Twitter account and said, hey, look, you know, we're, we're, we're awesome. doing well in the Snap Store. Like, so we, lo- we love having that, that conversation with developers. And, you know, we find out what works and what doesn't work. So, Brilliant. so do they have to do anything to be involved in this, or is it just an automatic thing? It's automatic. As soon as you've signed up to the store, you're going to start getting these emails if your application mm-hmm. has libraries that are not um, not updated. And it's worth noting that we try and encourage developers to integrate Snaps into their continuous integration. So when developers push um, updates to their application, there's some bot somewhere, whether it's using Travis or CircleCI or Launchpad or our own build service. It doesn't really matter. But integrate Snapcraft into that so that... Um, the updates flow into the store automatically. So the the developer doesn't have to think, oh, right, now I've got to go to my development machine and spin it up and create a build because the bots in the cloud will have done that for them and they mm. can just promote that as and when they need to. Yeah, yeah the Travis um, integration and the, the Git uh, updates are, are awesome. Mm. Do you yeah, think totally. there'll ever be a situation where the update that's waiting to happen to that particular app is so important that you would immediately pull that app within a week because it leaves the user too exposed, or is that very unlikely? Uh, I guess it depends. I mean, it's a good question, and and I know we have had applications in the past, uh, going back to the Ubuntu phone, where Mm -hmm. someone put an app in the store that was trying to do something nefarious. It was trying to break the application confinement. And we immediately removed it from the store mm-hmm. and then started the investigation and started the communication with the developer. The developer was using a throwaway email account and it was clearly done as a test to push the boundaries of our security system. It wasn't a legitimate application. But in the wow. case of a legitimate application, yeah, we, we would want to um, ensure the safety of our users. So I, I don't think it's unreasonable for us to pull things from the store. Our terms and conditions say that we can Mm-hmm. If we think that it compromises either the brand or our user machines or, you know, developer experience or nice. you know, the infrastructure or that kind of stuff. So we, we try and do the right thing. I don't think we get into an Apple kind of situation where, you know, we yank things from the store and then go silent and don't tell anyone why. And then right. there's this big right. brouhaha about why was this thing removed from the store. I think we'd be pretty upfront about 
why we're removing stuff and we do it for the right reasons for sure and i think because you've thought of it beforehand we won't end up in a situation where we are now where you know 28 percent of the top apps on android are compromised Mm. yeah that, that's certainly something we want to avoid and and this is this is early days you know this is just an email that we send out it, it could be that we have something in the in the store maybe we surface it in the store and people get a a ranking that says you know this uh, this developer has a good track record of providing security updates when we requested them or mm-hmm. i don't know they, these are all things up in the air that we haven't we haven't really nailed down but they're certainly possible well, when I talked to you on Telegram, I, I mentioned about what it could possibly lead to. And my question is, Michael and I had a conversation, or Michael and all of us had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about developers not receiving any feedback from their apps in the app stores mm-hmm. or cross distributions. Mm-hmm. Could this possibly be the start? of an infrastructure that would allow developers to receive feedback, even from like reviews from the app store. Could it be yeah, used we, in that way? So snaps are an evolution from clicks, which were the packaging format that we used on Ubuntu phone. And the, um, the Ubuntu phone had ratings and reviews. So it had the capability of uh, people giving it a number of stars and then free text field where you could type in whatever you want. Um, and we removed that because it didn't work particularly well. It's not very good, for example, if you're in Brazil and you see a lot of um, reviews in a completely different language. So we didn't we didn't have the localization stuff done. And I, I think we removed it for snaps because it just wasn't a really good experience. So I think we we need to rethink that. It's not been top of the priority list, but I think it, it, it will come up again soon. We'll certainly need to revisit ratings and reviews so that so, the, I mean, that, the other thing is the number of snaps landing in the store is getting larger and larger, and we want to make it easy for people to find the things that they want. It's all very well me saying Spotify is in there, but what about all those other media players and what about all the yeah. other uh, chat clients and things? So we want to be, make it easy for people to find stuff, and part of that is knowing what other people have rated and reviewed this as, and maybe that will come back, and that's all part of that conversation with developers. Very nice. Thank you for joining us for a no quick worries. rundown of it. I can go and light the barbecue now. You, you <laughs> uh, explained it way better than I could have ever explained it. So oh, thanks. I appreciate it. No worries. Good to see you guys. See you. Thanks, man. So Ubuntu 18.10, you know, we got to throw some Ubuntu news in here, Rocco. We have to. We did all Ubuntu last. It was Ubuntu Live last week. But we need week. more. <laughs> there needs to be more. No, no. I think this is kind of interesting. You know, with all this news about 18.04, everybody's excited about it. And when you're in the distribution world, you just have to keep your eyes forward, right? You can't even stop. So they're already working on 18.10. And part of that is, of course, coming up with code names for it. And we know how important names can be. Nobody wants to use a distribution with a stupid name. I don't care how good the distribution is. If it has a stupid name. Well, in the Linux world, we're full of names that are not the best. But go ahead. Well, I mean, the reason I use Hannah Montana Linux is because what it represents. I mean, that's an awesome name. Um, So they are working on some code names here. And I think people are going to be happy because the hint that people have gotten to is one of the words in the name will be cosmic. So So it's definitely um, we went from bionic to cosmic. So we don't know the last part of that uh, name, what it will be yet. But that's what they're hinting at right now. That will be cosmic. Yeah. Cosmic Koala. So what do you think Probably. about this, Michael? So I, I, th- I think the, the 
The cosmic's a good name, but we don't know what it's what the actual other word, the animal's going to be. But you know, some articles have already been written about this, and uh, they're kind of uh, trying. They, they're looking at the placeholder as being the official name, but it's like no, it's, it's just a placeholder. Cosmic hummingbird. How about the cosmic cat? Yes, that's a good one. It's, no, it's it's yeah. not. Well, I mean, I would have said that until they did beaver, but you know, previously they have always picked these random, like the most obscure animal they could find with that letter. Yeah, I guess like the Quetzal, hummingbird. Hummingbird would be great. What what I found amusing was that some people actually thought cosmic canimal was going to be the word, <laughs> yeah. but the canimal side of it was just the placeholder because it's going to be yeah. with, begin with the letter C. So if it's going to be begin with the letter C, is that both words have to yeah. like bionic? Mm-hmm. So we can't have cosmic co- uh, cola because that's okay. No. Cosmic cola, yeah, that would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Cosmic cat. I'm I'm predicting it right now because I am super good on predictions. Oh yeah. Okay, maybe not, yeah, but especially when you control. Exactly. Cosmic cat, look for it. Look for it. I think it's gonna be like it's gonna be cosmic chameleon or something like that. It could be. Could be. Yeah. But it's gonna be silly talk for, for weeks until um is it the main guy that comes up with a name? Yeah, it's Shuttleworth every time. Mm-hmm. So what's going on, Michael, with Mozilla? So <laughs> well, um, Mozilla's like long time, a couple like last year, they announced that they're going to start doing sponsored links inside of the Pocket uh, to purchase that they, they acquired Pocket, and they're going to be doing some like uh, for the, in their bookmarking and like the in various different places they're going to use Pocket to do sponsored links. And, That's it. I'm never using Mozilla again. This sounds like Big Brother. Well, no. Oh, okay, I'm calm down. 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 It's okay. <laughs> I was angry. Well, I mean, there's some people who are acting, are talking about being it's it's like being a, a negative thing, but uh, the what they're what they're doing is essentially trying to find a way that uh, uh, does sponsored links and does advertising allows them to, uh, the the Mozilla company to make money, but also does it in a way that respects privacy. So they're doing an, a very interesting style that all of the private data that they that the system is using to kind of calculate what would be interesting to the user is all on the user client side so that they never actually see it it's all just done through the algorithm and, and just if they see if they if the algorithm sees something that's in the like the the user data is relevant to something that's in their sponsored links it will display but they'll never actually see what was displayed or what you know what user data is actually being used so let me make sure i understand this so you you're I I download Firefox, I start surfing for things, and in my cookies or, or whatnot, my history of browsing, I look for Python books. And offline, Firefox has some script built into it that's then going to search through my history on my client side, so on my right. machine not hitting the web, and say, well, some of his history has Python, so then when I go online and I start searching for stuff, I'm going to, and one of their sponsors happens to be Python. Let's just say, I know that doesn't make sense, but let's go with it. And they come back and they say, okay, well, he likes Python offline. So we're going to throw him a Python ad. Is that yeah. how it's working? Okay. Yeah. It, it, they, they, they pull in a list of the links that are going, that are potentially to be used in the, the, the program. And then they show, they compare to a comparison between, your history and what what is relevant to you in, in that list, but if it's not in the list, it's not displayed, and that the information about what is com- what is compatible with the the comparison between the list and the and your history is never sent to Firefox. 
So they, they don't, they don't know what is being shown to you. Then um, they've also specified that they, they, because they do everything on the, the client side that the the privacy is being respected by the user. So I mean, I, I understand how people don't like the sponsored content, but if they're doing it in a way that doesn't violate the privacy, I don't really have a problem with it. Is this going to be something a bit like their um, extra scripts that they could run in the background if you forgot to turn it off? Are you going to be able to go into the settings somewhere and say, "Yes, I don't want your sponsored links." You can absolutely turn it off. Yes but you're going to have to go and find it. Now, is it going to be a tick box or is it going to be one of these about config things? Oh, it's in, it's going to be in the preferences. It's going to be a tick, like a, just a tick box. So again, it so, might, might come under that security um, checkbox thing. It's possible. Yeah. I'm not really sure where they, I don't, I, they haven't said where it's going to be yet that I know of, but it also, that's because I'm not using the nightly. So you have to use either the beta or the nightly to be able to see like exactly what they're doing. So, um, Right now, it's just kind of like until you try out that particular version or version of Firefox 60 comes out. It was before people will be able to see it. Right. So it won't be out for a regular user who's using Firefox until 60. Until 60, correct. Okay. So there is – Zeb asked the, one of the questions I was going to ask, which is it is an opt-out thing. But uh, my question is, is it okay that they are – I don't know. I wouldn't know if necessarily go so far as say spying, but if they are doing things with privacy that they don't send back to their servers, because at some point they could just put it through that they do. Send well, it once back they to dis- servers. once they display that, once they say here's what they're going, they, they they seem to be only doing it once a day. So once they do this, the display they clean out the the data from the algorithm. So like, here's what this, this is what relevant to this person's history today. Here's what we'll show. And then we're going to get rid of the data that we just collected for doing that comparison. So like they don't, it's not staying on your system and they don't send it to their own servers. So like, I think it, I think this is probably the best approach as far as like annoying ads could be. But if they're not going to send it to their own servers, how do they know you've looked at Python? They've got to send something back to themselves. Well, the history, they don't, it, it's based on your history, so they do an algorithm on your on your browser that they, the client side does the the actual checking to see if it re, it's relevant or not. So that's how they're doing it to display what is relevant to you. And if they don't find anything relevant, they don't show anything. This is but, a tightrope. I imagine Firefox, Mozilla Firefox yeah. is on a tightrope. And they're on there balancing and I have a rock on the other side and I'm deciding whether I'm going to throw it to knock them off that tightrope. And I'm really close to throwing the rock a lot with Firefox lately, but I'm not, but they, they, they really are on this, this thin rope that I am like Firefox is doing these things and their timing is horrendous. Talk to me. They're like Firefox just releases all the spying information and Google and Mozilla's like, Hey, we're going to introduce ads, but we're only going to do it on the client side. We promise. Like, come on, dudes, you got to you got to get some time in between there. But well, I mean, they've always been they've always been um, privacy oriented for you know the entire existence of Mozilla. So, I mean, yeah. this is kind of like just a. They also announced this a year ago that they were going to do it. So that, that the timing was just unfortunate when everybody found out Facebook was awful. I mean, most people already a lot of people already knew Facebook was awful, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that you can opt out of it. 
Uh, that's just unfortunate that's, timing. That's great. I love the the additional revenue stream for them. I think DuckDuckGo has a fantastic way of producing revenue off ads without compromising your privacy, which is when mm-hmm. I search for that Python book, it just throws Python ads up there and they make right. money off of that. So it's just using my search at that time and it has, doesn't store any data or care about who I am. It's just going to show me a Python ad because that's what I search for. That to me is a way of keeping the two things separate. But I'm okay with Firefox wanting to make more money. All their eggs are in one basket, by the way, for people who are really mad about this. It's important to remember that really their only source of income, primary funding right now, is Google being the primary default search engine. So they do need some money here, um, but I'm not sure they're... Uh, this this one's a little shake. Look, I, I agree it's on. It's a, it's a thin line to walk. But it, I it's think a very thin line, man. I, I, look, I think they're this doing is, it well. At least they're not tripping over themselves right now. Yes, but here's the thing, Michael. We talked about this before, and we've got into heated discussions about Firefox and their decisions as of late. And I think this is just one more step towards that direction of going full force into non-privacy and ads. Uh, I don't think that that's a completely against their philosophy as a, as an organization. Like, yeah. I don't think they're going to do that. I do think they're going to push the limit as much as possible before like so they they never get to the violation part and i think they're going to continue to try things that some people might like not like like these at all like they might even like the sponsor links in any way whatsoever or the fact that mozilla purchased pocket people don't like that either so i understand that people are not going to like it but i don't think they're going to violate the privacy aspects because that's against their entire existence of an organization i think they will push the limits and do exactly what Ryan said. It's walking that, that thin rope, but I don't think they're going to push it. <laughs> well, no. let's put it this way. They're definitely walking that thin rope. And I'm going, I'm like stepping out saying that this is one of those steps that they're going to. And I hope that they don't cross that line, Michael, but I think this is a step towards them getting so far to the edge that I don't think they're going to see when they cross that line. So well, that's yeah. Out of me and Ryan, who gets the first Peppa Pig advert? <laughs> <laughs> what are, our, what are our alternatives that are any better? That's the problem. There really isn't a great option out there that is... Oh, I Google mean, Chrome, totally. I mean, that's totally secure and ad-free. And, <laughs> well, no, yeah. you, know what you're yeah. get, you know what you're getting with uh, Google yeah, Chrome. You right? know that they're going to steal all of your data. So. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's much better. They're just out there with it. Um, you know, the companies I don't have to worry about that I love and they just make me a great product without me having to worry about throwing rocks at them is GIMP. Stupid name, great product. GIMP is one of those products I can't live without. It just is, you know, I do all of my, um, this isn't really a claim to fame here, sorry, GIMP, but I do all of my uh, my picture editing and stuff through GIMP. That's the worst commercial for them ever. I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but GIMP is hugely popular among people who are actually artists and actually talented, and you can do amazing things with it. And they have some really cool enhancements. And now they're integrating things like Darktable into GIMP now, making it much easier with plugins and stuff to support raw files and TIFFs and PNGs and all of this awesome stuff. Who uses GIMP here and is on board with being excited about a new version of GIMP? This is the first version that they've released where I'm actually excited uh, as like the new features because I, you know, they, they've been doing a lot of development releases for 2.9 for a while, 
but it's been, you know, it's been quite a few years. So the entire time I'm going to like, okay, when eventually when it, when they actually have a stable version to release, I'll, you know, I'll be interested. And now that they have done it, I'm happy to see all that, like they've included so many important things that they've done. And like, just because of they, they've rebuilt a whole, a library specifically for graphics uh, being used in GIMP for the, the Gaggle library. I'm not really sure what the, the acronyms stands for, but the, the, the library is, is so powerful. And the fact that it's being written by essentially just one person is amazing. Yep. And uh, just like, I think the, the most silliest uh, thing that I like the most is probably the uh, single window mode by default. I love single window yes. mode. Yeah. It's it's the, I, I can't use it without single window mode. I hate the panel floating junk. It's you mm-hmm. know, I agree. distracting. The thing I like about GIMP is, although people say it's got a really big learning curve, only if you want to. I use it for the most simple things. I mean, I had a picture of a car on the background, and I wanted the name of the OS as part of the number plate. Um, so I put it on there, and it was a straight line. But the number plate was curved up, and it took me about three minutes to find which particular section of GIMP I needed to do to grab the text box and to misshape it so that it was it flowed around. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, it looked like it was part of the car, not something that I'd gimped up. So they 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 do still accommodate your average casual user who just goes in there and and, and wants to use it and. In, in the open source world, I don't think it's got competition, at least not that I'd be happy to use. I don't know about you guys. As far as like the average manipulation of images, they don't. Um, there's the, the thing about that, they have actually added some new tools that for what you're talking about is warping the text. So you could use the warp transform tool that they made to warp the text around it. So that might be easier. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's probably the only thing about with, with GIMP is that you have to learn their individual, their, their specific um, workflow in order to like kind of like you have to get used to that workflow in order to do things quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I that- use GIMP for all of the uh, uh, artwork for Destination Linux, um, so I've I have used GIMP for a long time and love it. And by the way, uh, G E G L stands for Generic Graphics Library, according to the internet. Wow. Did you use right, that thing? That, that, you I was Google it, did you? You duck, duck, code it? It seemed, that, that seems like they chose the the letters because G-E is the same as one word. Yeah. So that's why I was confused. I could remember. We're not going down this road, guys. Stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, don't you agree that gaggle is a fun word to say? It like, is. It's, it, yeah. yeah. We're going to gaggle. I giggle about it all the time. Especially if you're going to giggle. All the time. Yeah. It just rolls off the tongue. Um, but with that GIMP feature where you can pull everything into just one window, for me, that was really, really important when I bought my new monitor because 43 inches to have one bit over here and one bit over here and another <laughs> bit down there. And one of the things I promised myself I would never do is I bought the monitor, so stop looking. So what do I find? I find Ryan's next gaming monitor. Philip <laughs> have brought out a new 43-inch 4K gaming monitor. Yeah, man. Um, so when, 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 when's it being delivered, Ryan? Well, listen, <laughs> I'm going to be the first to order this because it actually has a reasonable price tag 
at 799 heaps of British smackers. So that to me is very, very affordable when you compare it to the NVIDIA BFGD, uh, the big freaking monitor or whatever that stands for at 65 inches, which I think is like, I don't know, two, three grand. Uh, so it's, it's very, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the market for a new giant monitor. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you already have a 43-inch monitor, Zeb. We need to talk about this. <laughs> well, I talk about it all the time with Global Menu. Man, 43-inch, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. Well, these monitors are, are, are way overpriced, but I did find a deal on a 49-inch monitor, Ryan, mm-hmm. for $899 Ooh. on Mass Drop. It's a Samsung and it's a 144 hertz gaming monitor and it looks absolutely awesome. You should try it out. Did it say whether it's IPS or TN? Uh, I don't know. And let me see here if I can find it. Uh, it was IPS and it's amazing. If mm-hmm. it's TN, then it's really good, but not amazing. Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask Ryan though, because I noticed that this alleged gaming monitor only comes with a 60 hertz refresh rate isn't it like a prerequisite that you start at 144 minimum i mean most people's monitors are 60 hertz so they're mm. not going to notice but for gaming for high-end gaming you're really especially honestly at this price range you really need to be in the 144 hertz market at least because there are many monitors going above and beyond that now and what this is is really sinking your monitor with your frames per second that you're getting on your video card. So for mm-hmm. instance, I will have very bad tearing going on on my, my 144 Hertz monitor. If I do not go into NVIDIA settings and set specifically that I want it set for 144 Hertz there, I will have screen tearing because they'll be out of sync the video card mm-hmm. and the monitor itself. So it does become very important. Now, most people probably are not going to notice and for the price again, for what you're getting, it would be okay. But if you're playing things like, I think Michael said he was playing ballistic overkill, very mm. uh, where, you know, on the 1080, for instance, you can average over 200 frames per second. You're going to have some out of sync issues there between your video card. If you have a high end video card and your monitor, not that you can't set them to synchronize, but it's just, you're not really getting the most out of your equipment by doing mm-hmm. No, you can actually having higher frames in your game, even with a lower Hertz, it's, you can, it, you can still notice a difference. But the the difference between when you have a monitor that matches the Hertz is it's just amazing. Like the difference is is ridiculous. Yeah, I really love the 144 Hertz. Well, along with gaming monitors, you sometimes need to upgrade Michael your system. And, I don't understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Ryan, you've upgraded systems already. Oh yeah. Okay, so you've bought parts, and there are wow. sites out there like Parts Picker, but how many times have you ordered parts and maybe got the wrong part because it's not compatible? I mean, it's happened and I grew up in a business where we built computers. And so this is kind of like something I know in and out and it's happened. I've just been wanting to so excited to get the processor that I want that I grab a suggested board that looks good and realize the suggested board from the site is the wrong socket or something. You know, it, just, it happens. You move too quick and you get excited. Your wife finally says you can buy yep. something. You just keep clicking buy before she changes her mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have done that before myself and it's very frustrating. And like I said, there are parts picker sites out there that you can use, but AMD is trying to resolve this issue by offering crate bundles 
This is so nice. Cool. So they are offering a, a items that you can buy uh, as a four item thing where you can buy the processor, the memory, the motherboard, and the graphics card together. And I think it's pretty awesome. What do you think? I mean, it comes in a crate, dude, with all this stuff bundled from AMD. I mean, I've got to order one of these. Somebody has to help me with an excuse of why I need another computer because I just want one of these crates just to have one and unbox it for everybody. But you get your CPU, motherboard, RAM, and GPU combo. So if you are not technically inclined, you know, but you want to get into building PCs here, you have kind of like a bare bones kit that you're setting up with Mm. everything that you know is meant to work together. Additionally, I'm hoping this is being used to fight the Bitcoin mining disaster out there because, you know, one of the things the manufacturers have been trying to do is work with the resellers to say, hey, only sell to people who aren't Bitcoin miners. Try to do some type of interrogation to make sure they're buying this video card for gaming. Well, that's pretty difficult to really pull off in the real world. But by having this bundle kit together, pretty much anybody who's going to buying that kit with all four of those things together because most mm-hmm. of the miners only care about the GPU. Now you kind of know out of the bat that the person buying this is going to build a full PC with it. So, yes. And I'll, what's I'll, also I'll, good... Sorry, go on, Michael. You can go. Well, I was going to say, what's also good is you're then not getting caught up in the Bitminer, let's get all these graphics cards overpriced. This is something that's coming from AMD Here's all your bits and pieces. And if you went and looked at the individual prices, I think you're probably getting about $60 off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a much better way of not falling into that. This is a really popular card. You're going to have to pay $100 over the top. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying it's a bundle that actually has a benefit to be a bundle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? You could save yeah. up to 60 squiddles. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, when are you buying one? I'll have to get back to you on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it depends on how long it lasts for my existing computer before that explodes. So nice. Well, listen, there is more great news out here. As if I'm not giving you guys enough, Nvidia releasing a new 396.24 Linux driver, so we can get more frames per second, more power. We want to burn this baby. <laughs> so you know they are continuing to show some support. We talked last week about some stuff with Nvidia and Wayland, which is getting better. Some of the support there. So the 396.24 drivers for Linux have some improvements with new card support, like GTX 1050. Max Q, their Volta line. This is good stuff. This is always exciting when we get new drivers and their foc- Nvidia's focusing their attention with Linux. Well, that's the thing. It, you know, there's a lot of technical details involved in uh, these new drivers, and you know, I don't have to actually know every technical detail about it to say we're actually going to get some good changes. It's the same way with, you know, when you get an upgrade from a Linux distribution, you don't have to know every piece of code inside the distribution itself, but you know, you're getting some really nice features. No. (laughs) So I think it's awesome that they continue to release, even though they're not quite as easy to work with as far as um, open sourcing things. But um, I think it's great that they continue to release updates. Yeah. The fact that you can use the hardware is good. But uh, yeah, the, the fact that they don't seem to care about the community as far as the development part, uh, that's still annoying. But yeah. at least they're somewhat improving. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've always found uh, slightly annoying about the NVIDIA drivers is, yes, it's great, 360, 396.24 is out, 
Um, well, you could have got something very similar if you'd have added the NVIDIA PPA to Ubuntu anyway. But main, most mainstream people are now still on the 390. So does your average user have to wait for the distribution to upgrade to 396? Yeah. Or can you strip out your current NVIDIA, go back to Nuvo, reboot, then install the new NVIDIA? Because I've, I've, I've always been told that if you just bang on a new NVIDIA driver without going back to Nuvo first, it will muck up your distribution. Is that is that right or is that wrong? Uh, it depends on the structure because it like I've installed new new um, Nvidia drivers before where it did it was fine. I've mm-hmm. also installed Nvidia drivers where it was not fine. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the distro and it depends on the configuration. So like for example, a rolling release will have more issues with this. So if you if you have a if you have a base system like Ubuntu, you're not really going to have to deal with it. Even if you have a um, you have a rolling uh, GPU stack, it, typically the 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 kernel that the latest version of the GPU stack on NVIDIA is almost always uh, supporting existing kernels. The problem mm-hmm. with rolling releases is that they roll, they roll the kernel and the GPU at the same time where that the GPU stack might not have support for the newest kernel and therefore you get a break and you get like a black screen because it doesn't, it can't display any graphics. So if you don't have Nuvo and as a fallback, uh, it would, it would potentially have some issues there. For most users, it's best to wait. The good news is there are new drivers out there. There's new support. Now, if you have one of the driver cards out there that need this, then it's worth giving a go. If you don't need it and your your system's running fine, there's there's no there's no you know, requirement to upgrade or anything. Right. So ignore that. Ignore that nice new shiny devil on your shoulder. Right. You can you can absolutely ignore that, but you can't ignore massive password leaking <laughs> so thanks to twitter 330 million twitter users need to change your password yeah really dude so, yeah <laughs> that means everyone you don't even need it's a number everyone. at that point if you've ever yeah. used twitter ever change your password yeah it's basically it's basically everyone yeah um just keep happening well, this one's well, not as big of a issue as the prior ones because this was, I mean, it's still an issue, don't get me wrong, but at least it was on Twitter's side of the client, their client on their side of the server that exposed it. So it's not like it was out on the internet for anybody to see. So to put this in layman's terms, somebody would have already been compromised Twitter's system to be able to see this file that was no longer hashed. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So probably most people were not going to be affected depending on how Twitter treats its employees. <laughs> and uh, what those employees want to do with that information that it's been sitting out there. Yeah. So, you know, it's possible they could like do a, a data dump or something like that, but you know, we have no evidence that it's been, that's been done. Mm-hmm. Twitter is just basically saying as a cautionary measure, you should go ahead and just change password anyway. I, and then it's a fair, that's a fair point. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that this even happened in the first place, but at least it didn't, it wasn't catastrophic. It was just terrible. Right. I mean, I like the fact that they came out and were open with it and said, this is what happened. Change your password. But, but I mean, how many safeguards do we need to have in place for this not to happen? Like, I mean, I thought there were safeguards in place so that you wouldn't have situations like this. There typically are, but, um, well, okay. There are typically are for tech companies. And this is just like a mistake that they, 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 they messed up one of the, uh, the, the algorithms for the encryption and it just kind of 
broke during the process. So it kind of like it's, it stored data that was essentially in plain text. Um, but I think, I think that typically you would, you wouldn't have to worry about that, but you, as far as like the leaking of passwords, most tech companies is very rare, but as far as like all the other companies that are not tech based, uh, yeah, good luck, I guess. This is why you don't keep the same password. Right. You should have a different password for every single website and every single account on that website. You mean monkey one on every site is not a good password? That's how I got to your bank account and why I'm now ordered that new bundle kit from AMD. (laughs) (laughs) It also changed your password 102. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, know, it's not that bad. You can order the gaming monitor, but uh, Ryan, you'll have to tell us what you've been playing this week in order to use it. Oh, man, if I could have that monitor for this game. I am in love with this game. I have to give a shout-out to Dark One because he gifted me this game to try out, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I happen to know Michael here loves this game as well because he kind of joined us while we were on the Destination Linux Discord channel chatting. And this game is called Trine 3. Oh, my, is this fun, man. So this is a 2D action puzzler. The graphics are absolutely gorgeous. It's console. It's a console game at its best because while mm-hmm. it's a puzzler, and I hate puzzle games, by the way, hate them. Like if, if I'm going to have to sit there for an hour trying to figure out a lot combination, I'll just go to work. <laughs> I don't need this kind of stress, but these are fun puzzles. These are like you could figure it out in a few seconds. You could do trial by error. It, this yeah. is fun in the soundtrack. They get difficult incredible. later in the game, but as they should. But it's yeah. a, it's a fun platformer. It's 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 a puzzle platformer with a. I think the best that the, the claim to fame of this is that the story is both simple but also like very well made. Yes. Yeah. So like you'll enjoy playing the game because the story is both kind of silly in the sense of like how it's it's um, presented and it's in like in the style of like an old like 90 style um, story base, but like, you know, like adventure old little point and click games. It's like that, but in a more modern puzzle platformer style. Well, yep. I'm glad that you were able to join them, Michael, because when I joined them on the destination links <laughs> discord, they complete Ryan specifically completely ignored me while I was talking. I mean, live on the show. <laughs> Rocco. Wow. This is not the place to be bringing this kind of stuff in here. No, it, the audio wasn't working and I assume it's because you weren't on Zubuntu yet. Right. The audio and wasn't I working. I hear you. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow dark one was able to hear me, but, but Ryan wasn't able to hear me. He just completely ignored that. I was even there. So Rocco's in the chat. <laughs> And I'm like, talk, you know, and, and I hear I hear one sided conversations to Dark One. He's like responding to what would be Rocco's voice, but I can't hear him. So I assume they're talking in Telegram, but that wasn't the case. But it is like the right player. Rocco's name next time and then say unmute. And then it should be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this I actually looks this actually looks pretty good. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm a really huge cool. fan of the I haven't played the Trine three. Big, um, I have the game. But I haven't tried it. I haven't played it yet, but I'm I've. I love love the the franchise because trying one and trying two are fantastic. So I I expect three to be just as good. Yeah, well, okay. I tried one and it was actually pretty good. Although I haven't finished it, so. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we Is this the sort some... of game that I'm going to like, Ryan? Or you know what? Yeah, yeah, actually, the graphics here are definitely modern enough that you'll enjoy it, and the soundtrack's incredible. 
I really do think you would enjoy this. And we're going to do some streaming of this game. So yeah, it's a solid style too. Like the the game itself is fun, but the graphics are, you know, that they're in a they're they're meant to look like a certain era, but a very modern, um, high texture style of that era. Beautiful right. coloring. Gotcha. And if I get this, am I going to be able to play on the new Atari VCS, or is that something completely different? And a completely yes, in theory. Game? Yeah, you could. In theory, they said that you technically could. I mean, I okay. they haven't really gave us a lot of specs about the Atari VCS that's coming, but they other than they've now given us a pre-sale date. Right. They have announced the announcement of the time where you can maybe order it. We'll see. Possibly. Mm-hmm. They yeah. want you to spend your money before you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. This is marketing. This is Michael's world. So, I'm, I'm a Michael's like, a great marketer. Yes. Right. Well, I mean, Atari could could learn some things, a thing or two about uh, how to do marketing because their first announcement of like, we're going to uh, we're going to announce soon that you can do pre-orders. Oh, wait. Hold on. Then we're going to, okay, we'll, we'll let you know when we're going to announce. We're really serious this time. And then, okay, now now we're going to announce when you can order. Okay, it's coming sometime in May. Okay, we're going to. But we've now got to we, order it on this day in the future. Listen, we can't beat up our own, Michael. We have to roll with this. They are they are creating a console. It's going to run Linux. That's. I mean, I'm not saying that what they're doing is wrong. Whatever they do is right. Okay. They should org- They should prepare as well as we do for our shows. Zeb, does this interest you? Are you going to buy one of these or what? Well, this is the next question I was going to ask because I'm a bit like wimpy in that regard. Yeah, somebody says to me, "Oh, you should play this game." So, right, I've got an Xbox. I've got a um, an Xbox X. I've got a um, PlayStation Four. Do I have to go out and get an Atari VCS? Otherwise, I'm not going to be. In the chat, so you're not going to be cool. You're not going to be able to hang out with us. All the cool kids are going to get an Atari VCS. Let me tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, actually, I think, here's the thing about the Atari. It is kind of like the emulation. It's it's going on the same vibe as like the the NES Classic that Nintendo did, where it's going it's an emulation based thing. But they took it way beyond the the emulation only because the NES Classic is essentially worthless outside of playing those games. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Atari the VCS the reboot basically because they technically already used that name in the past but the the Atari VCS is much more expensive than the NES Classic but it's also uh, extremely more powerful than the NES Classic so like mm-hmm. you'd be able to play all the uh, the emulation of all the like the old games from Atari like Pitfall because who doesn't want to I mean I love Pitfall I actually do it's one of my favorite games as far as like nostalgia based I guess but it's a, it's it's not going to be expensive, but in comparison, it, it might seem like it's more than it should be. But the, the hardware that they're providing is going to be like a full spec of like AMD graphics, and you're going to have like uh, 4K ability to like you know, on the displays and all, all those kinds of things. So like, it has potential to be a. Actually, in, in a way, it could be like a good Steam machine that we exactly. never really it's got. It's like an overpowered yeah. Steam Link. You know, I was say one ninety nine is well cheap. Price. Yeah, yeah, it's a reasonable console price. So like, it, it's it's expensive in the terms if you look at it just as the emulation uh, type of um, uh, console. But if you look at like a genuine console, like based on the hardware, it implies that it would be a genuine console. And the fact that it's running Linux and you have like and you have Steam, so you could have like a full blown Steam machine. And 
it looks pretty cool. I like the the style that they did the retro yeah, style too. That wood grain look. I mean, for one hundred ninety nine dollars, yeah. I'd pay that just to play Paperboy by itself. <laughs> All subject to change, of course. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. yeah, subject to change for sure. <laughs> All right. So my favorite genre of games is FPS. What is it? Yes. Okay. That's my favorite. I also like puzzles. I know you don't, Ryan, but I, I do like puzzle adventure games. But FPS is mm-hmm. my favorite style of game. And there's an article on gaming on Linux for a game called War Brokers. And right. I looked at this video. What? the heck is this dude? <laughs> what are you talking about this is incredible dude i'm not gonna this is like black. wait this is like lego meets minecraft meets PUBG, and yet has terrible minecraft graphics like i mean <laughs> what is going on here you don't know good games listen i'm not taking flack from someone who you says don't know he's what you're F- talking about <laughs> who, who says he's a first person shooter fan who only plays a game where you drive a car and run it into a ball I'm not buying it. Wow. I'm not buying what you're selling, <laughs> sir. <laughs> All right, you got me there. Okay, so I like Rocket League, but 99% of the rest of the games I play are FPS or Rocket League's in its own genre. Yeah, anyway, it's like it's, it's by itself, dude. Yeah, you don't it's, you don't judge a book by its cover. This these are lessons your parents were supposed to teach you, and I'm supposed to teach you now that <laughs> you don't look at this game and its blocky artifacting <laughs> graphics and just judge it as not being any good. So this is not another doggy festa. Oh my! It actually gosh. looks kind of fun. I do want to play it because I, I I like the, the battle royale style of games and I like first person shooters. I actually can't stand Minecraft, so we'll see if they can somehow surpass that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if you could look past the graphics, this is a battle royale game where you parachute in, kind of like battle royale, and you have Minecraft looking graphics and rocket launchers and vehicles there are vehicles in here that you can drive blocky vehicles but the vehicle. <laughs> so it would like be like a, a block. yeah it would be, oh, yes. if you're in a tank it'd probably be like two blocks one big one and one small one <laughs> oh, right, okay. with blocks that make the tank turret yeah yeah that's how it works i, I, I mean it kind of looks fun and I, I like the fact that it's available for Linux. so i mean i yeah i'm definitely going to check it out because it's a it it, it uh, provides the uh, like a a full size experience of um, of using a, of a battle royal royal royale game, even though it's a Minecraft style. But there are some games that are kind of like better Minecraft styles that are that are really good. Like the first person, uh, it's basically like a deathmatch type game called Open Spades. Mm-hmm. So like the, the 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 Minecraft approach can work as long as I don't have to build anything and I can just use the fighter. <laughs> Well, this is early access now. It costs $10.99 in American money. How much is that in your seafood money? Zeb? Probably about seven quid. Seven quid. <laughs> <laughs> so very good. You can check out that game there. All right. So another game we can talk about is... Uh, it's it's an interesting... It's a kind of game that I don't like, but I'm interested in trying this one. So right. it's a Total War Saga Thrones of Britannia. Nice. And I, I, I assume that's how you say it. Um, that's but, perfectly acceptable. Cool. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a strategy game. So like it's a, it's a turn-based combat real time, like structure uh, strategy game. And typically I don't really like RTS games, but this one actually looks pretty interesting. So what do you guys think? So Sega, 
Sega is a big game. This is a AAA game. So those who are wanting, you know, the AAA games on Linux and Mac OS, it's out there for both of those platforms, which is pretty cool. It's got beautiful graphics. It's the turn-based combat. So if you're trying to conquer the world and you like managing armies and all that, which like I was a huge fan of Starcraft and Command yeah. and Conquer and those style games because they made it fun. I've never the played old Warcraft. Yeah. This one, yeah, the old Warcraft. Those were kind of like fun, but still had a lot of strategy behind them. Um, this one looks very serious, you know, and if you're into that type of thing, what a great game to go play with it. The only analogy I can think of is, is this, is this something like Red Alert? Yeah, Command and Conquer yeah. Red Alert would definitely be up yeah. in that. But this is more, I would say, less cartoony than Red Alert, kind of a little more. Not that you would ever mind that. No, I mean, in fact, I'm wondering where the blocky. Uh, where's the Minecraft? Version? Where's the Minecraft add-in? Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, it's not my kind of game. No, yeah. I'm not. Um, I'm not much of an RTS one, but this is like one of the few RTSs I was actually interested in. And uh, when they announced that it was going to come to Linux, like, wow. I mean, it's um, it's not going to come on like day one. Uh, that's unfortunate, but the fact that it's coming at all is is great. So I appreciate that. So you guys are going to have to help me out on this next one because if you've probably gathered, I'm not a gamer. Um, so why would I be interested in a game that's going to make me become part of a local community, Pelican Town, <laughs> that's home to 30 residents who I can get to know and meet someone? Can I just walk out my front door and meet the residents <laughs> where I live? Why? What's so good about Stardew Valley? And there's something about Stardew I've heard. Has this oh, game man. been around a long um, time? People a- send your hate mail to comments at destinationlinux.org. <laughs> Subject line Zeb. Yes, please address on the Zeb. <laughs> yes. Uh, listen, this is one of the most popular and beloved games of all time. To put it in perspective, generally when you get a very positive of a few thousand in Steam, your game has done incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Stardew Valley has 75,858 overwhelmingly positive reviews. That's how beloved this game is. It is, this is a game that truly we joke about, but you do not judge a book by its cover. Pixelated art, pixelated graphics. You will start playing it and go, why is everybody like this? 12 hours later, and you're calling your boss, telling him you're not coming to work because you're busy managing your farm plot. Like this game is so much fun. Um, it, it just is. There are a lot of things you can do. It's not just managing farm. It's manage. It's like a resource management tool, that type of stuff. But you can also do combat and exploring caves and upgrading your character and getting, you know, new additions to build out your farm and things like that. And there's a storyline hidden within as well that you start discovering things about your grandfather, etc. throughout. And the it's graphics just, are awesome, Zeb. So yeah. is this Farmville 3? <laughs> it's Farmville without the Facebook. <laughs> without the Facebook spying on you. So oh, this and, is a and really actually- good game somewhat usable (laughs) well we didn't even get to what we were talking about that's stardew valley but that's not the the news the news is that now it's multiplayer so zeb when you do build your farm Mm -hmm. i'm gonna come in and raid it (laughs) wait seriously is that what it's going to be about or is it you just going to is the multiplayer going to be like a more friendly we just congregate together it totally depends on who the who the players are really (laughs) so theoretically they could come in and wreck your farm 
I would imagine you probably could do some damage to somebody's farm. Like if you take some of your farm equipment and start digging up their plants, you might be able to do things like that. But for the most part, I think most people who don't have rage problems Seb, <laughs> are going to go into this game and try to help one another out, you know, and, uh, and help you attack the, the monsters in the game. Yeah. So you're not going to let the rabbits into my cabbage patch then. <laughs> So, so you can't take a tractor and run it 350 miles an hour through Stardew Valley. Uh, well, not with that. Yeah. Forget. <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't. I'm not into that kind of game, dude. I'm just not. I, I might try the. You say that, but you need to try this. Look, if you may possibly get me to try War Brokers, even though I make fun of it, but I don't think I'm gonna try Stardew Valley, man. I will. You will play it. This is my prediction. <laughs> and what we will do, and we folks, know you're who are, great at predictions. Let me. If who are watching this, is we will take a picture of Rocco's farm and post it on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have lots of carrots and things. It'll be beautiful. Yeah, It'll be patch. themed perfectly. Mm-hmm. Perfectly themed. Farm. They will be in line. I can tell you that. Everything will be in line. (laughs) Could you imagine if you got Rocco to play this? He couldn't stop. He would be so obsessed with making every piece of plot of land perfect. That's exactly why I won't play it. You can't play this game because you would never go to work again. I know. That's why he doesn't like Minecraft because you have to build everything and it's like it's it's not going fast. Okay, this is block this block is on the left side. It's not supposed to be on the left side. (laughs) I might do that. Yeah. All right. What else have we got? Anything? That's it, man. All good things must come to an end. And this is the end until next week. But I do want to make uh, an announcement that next week we will not be here for the live show because we are doing an interview and we are leaving it up to the guests who are on the show if they want to do live or not. And next week's guest will not be a live show, but we should be back the following week, I'm guessing with a guest but if you are a patron you can join us on zoom and still get to see the live show if you want correct i do want to mention though that you should check out uh, late night linux has a extra show that they are offering now and it's every two weeks late night linux comes out with an episode but they're now offering an extra episode to cover the off weeks that they're not coming out with an episode and that is joe interviewing uh, devs from different uh, distributions, areas of open source. This past week, he interviewed Daniel Foray and Matthew Miller, I think his name was, from Fedora. So mm-hmm. you should just go over, check it out, and let them know what you think. Joe's looking for some feedback on how it's gone, and I think it's actually going pretty well for him. Yeah, I really liked it. You nice. sent me the link yesterday. It was really well done. Yep. All right. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Just for your info, Rocco, you didn't go live. It didn't come up, I don't think. But nice try. So why didn't it go live?
good question. Um, good thing it's just our patrons. They know we have technical issues every right? week. <laughs> it's just 12.09. No rush. Don't worry about it. I mean... Rocco trying to be secure with his passwords. You know, you know yeah. Why, yeah. Chaos. Like, we really... Why would you need it? You know. You know why Rocco's having problems now, though, Ryan, don't you? Why is that? Didn't read the manual. Oh, yeah, Rocco. Wow. Or TFM, man. Yeah. Wow. It would help. Trust me. I know, I know, I know. Are you sure you're hitting the stream key and not the record key? Wow, dude. It's not like it's the first time I've ever done this. I mean, <laughs> obviously... Obviously. All right. Deleting. What was it? Deleting. Rocco said last week that we all need to be prepared and be on time this week. <laughs> Sick of us wow. being late. Got and him. now look. Look what happens. Wow, it's so wrong. You have to make sure that everything is tickety-boo. <laughs> tickety-boo. Well, nobody can see you yet because there's a screen in front of us. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, cool. a, it's a cool thing so that we don't have to show ourselves until we're ready. Yeah, which will be like an hour from now or two yeah well done Rocco we're killing it guys killing it (sighs) this is so detailed (laughs) yeah this is just us getting it together and that takes a long time that takes a lot for us to get it together (laughs) really long time (laughs) I think I'm ready when you guys are ready it's it's, start, it's starting to get there. You know, we have a lot of supporters of the show, Rocco, and they're usually very nice. But I just want to let you know that Heather just said, you're getting it together never. Wow. <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's truthful, but it's so it's wrong. It's truthful, but it's wrong. You're right. Uh, all right. I'm ready. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You. Let's do this. Stand by. I'm going to beat my mic so I can call for a minute. Okay. How long is this call I like how he asks if we if, if we're ready and then he's and not. Then it was yeah, just, look, break. it just came on me. You know what I mean? It was just like it just happened. Okay, so Could someone write in the show just various moments of cough breaks for Rocco. Yeah, really? It's, it's I'm not saying that at all. Mine says offline. It just went live for me. Refresh. That's too obvious. <laughs> look, live. <laughs> <laughs> we are so professional at this. It's amazing. But Rocco, the uh, the the YouTube one is untitled broadcast right now. Really, dude? I mean, yeah. you, really? Just go into the live settings and change it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. All good. <laughs> we're, we're totally prepared and everything. Are we live? We certainly are. We are live. Right. We did it. And we can use computers. What does the fox say? What does the fox say? <laughs> All right, so I regret that now. Yeah, yeah you should. <laughs> I've no idea what that reference is to anyway. So it's an American song. It's no, it's not a song. It's like, <laughs> okay, so irrelevant then. Yeah, when you came back in, we all noticed. We're like, oh great, two Michaels, just what I always wanted. It's the best, the best thing you could ever do. Right? Imagine. Yeah, two of you. All yeah. of my wildest dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it. It was your fault. It comes oh, naturally. Well, Michael could be. He could be combing over right now, and we all don't know. I'll let you guys know when I meet him in purpose, per, uh, person. I'm going to put my hand through his hair and make sure it's not a comb. I don't think you, uh, you might not reach his head, dude. 
Is he that tall or something? He's pretty I'm tall. He's pretty really? tall, dude. How tall are you? 6'4". Uh, oh, great. Wow. That's, yeah, that is tall. <laughs> well, wait till I bring my um, step ladder. platform shoes. <laughs> <laughs> when I wear my platforms, I'm 6'6". Six, six, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you fall over like Naomi Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And that goes really well with your girly camera and your platform shoes. So what is it with the girly cameras that you started it? Uh I'm going to Southeast Linux Fest. Yeah, yeah, we're going to self. 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 Yeah. yeah. Be scared. You you're Zeb's going? gonna be there. No, I'm not going there. No. Okay. <laughs> that would be <laughs> awesome. I'll be the yeah, midget teenage girl like next just, to the giant <laughs> Michael. Zeb, did I you know. watch the outro to the last episode yet? I did. What, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's all you're gonna get. I did. What were your thoughts on uh, our feedback on your general attitude? <laughs> um, I, I refer back to the loose cannon comments. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like we captured your angry spirit correctly? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been angry on this show. You're no. passive aggressive. I don't think I'm so. passive aggressive. Am yes, I? you threaten to beat me with a baton, and you say you're not angry. Yep. Do we need to go no, pull the clip? No, 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 no. What's this baton you speak of? Oh. <laughs> Wait, do, are you a denier? I have the clip. I can play it. If you play it. <laughs> play it right it's now. not a baton. It's a nightstick. It's, oh, it's that's the same better. thing. <laughs> I wasn't going to beat you with a baton. I was going to beat you with a steel nightstick. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, well. Definitely better. It's only polyurethane. So it, <laughs> it just bruises. Yeah. You know, it would be weird getting beat up by you Zeb because I feel like you would be nice while you're doing it like <laughs> I'm sorry Ryan hey, why no, do you make me do this to you, you know, some of your content on YouTube is fine Ryan it's just <laughs> no you this, shouldn't have crossed me and I could then go and this is the peppermint respin <laughs> I'm like it. it hurts but he's complimenting me I don't know how to feel about this I love it. so let me go take some more penicillin oh, yeah. I'll get back to you guys we didn't I need some chop syrup. We thought that was normal. We thought that was normal. Wow. Really, Zeb? <laughs> Gosh, I'm out of here. I don't have to take this. I don't, I don't either. I'm out. <laughs> it's, 